You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Rodney, Towner, Mark. Good morning. It's a uh, post-non-shutdown shutdown edition of the Beltway Briefing. Rodney, once again, coming to us live from Cambridge with a Boston Red Sox hat on, which pretty much means, Rodney, you're fired. <laughs> I, I enjoy triggering you on a regular basis. Yeah. I could do it without even saying a word. It's even Rodney, Rodney wins the first to worst award yep. for uh, this season. But he, he hasn't shaved for a couple of days. He's wearing a T-shirt. He's regressing. He's regressing <laughs> into a college student. He's like the Benjamin Button of our podcast. <laughs> Mark, thank you for pointing out that uh, they are the last place Boston Red the Sox. The last place Boston Red Sox. Oh, such a beautiful thing. You know, I, I, I actually have a Red Sox hat, I have to confess. My brother-in-law is a huge Red Sox fan, as Mark knows, and he gave me a Boston Red Sox hat. And I only wear it when it's pouring rain outside. When it's really bad weather, I put it on and I take a picture of myself <laughs> with my Red Sox hat getting drenched. It's like my way of putting a hex on the Red Sox. And it worked I, I, I very, it to very successful, although... Yeah. We're going down a rabbit hole, but if I'm not mistaken, your team was not that far ahead, Howard, of the but last ahead. Not the Yankees' best season. All right. So, who's guys. The Orioles, who's the Orioles fan on this podcast? Who, who's, who's? I don't know, because I've never seen you talk about them. Well, you know what? I got one year out of the last 30. So, there you go. I got to, I gotta, you know, between the Red Sox and the Yankees, I finally have a year. Uh, where they're doing well. 101 wins. Holy Very crap. nice. All right. Enough baseball. Let's get to, I don't know what, I was going to try to <laughs> draw some sort of analogy or metaphor, but um, I won't. Rodney, what what happened this weekend? And where do we go? Where do we go from here? Break it down. Well, first off, congrats, Towner, on your Orioles. Uh, but I would remind everybody that I am an Atlanta Braves fan, and uh, we have had a few good years lately. Um, I'm really disappointed in the Sox and the Yankees because they really couldn't step up and provide some good competition in the series to the greatest team in the history of baseball, the Atlanta Braves, and hopefully the Orioles will. Um, and speaking of competition, that's what this so-called shutdown that didn't become a shutdown actually was. It, it became a competition where I think Kevin McCarthy finally said, uh, there is nothing else that I can do except come in at the last minute, put Matt Gates on notice that there will be a motion to vacate to remove Kevin the Speaker. But I think he was genius about it in the end because he let the Democrats talk for months about putting a clean CR on the table, something I didn't think he would do without allowing some of the newer members to experience the negativity of a shutdown. But he did it, and he put the Dems on defense, and it was a genius move that I didn't expect, and I don't think any of us on this call would have expected. Yeah, I, I think it was a good move, but I think his hand was sort of forced as well because he actually had 
moderates that were willing to act in this case, specifically the the New York Republicans, who may not any of them be here in the next Congress, uh, but they're willing to they're willing to step up to the plate. They're moderate Republicans from from the city, from from Long Island, uh, who have no problems because they're New Yorkers, of course, being vocal uh, and uh, and putting their message out there. And they're the ones that, quite frankly, in the run up to to shutdown day, were attending conference meetings and yelling at the Freedom Caucus saying, well, what the heck do you want? If you if you want something, tell us what you want. If you don't, if you just want to cause chaos, then then run along. And so McCarthy did something that I think was well, George Santos among those, Tanner? Yeah. Sorry, I had to do it. That's, that's a good I question. Think he, he and Bob Menendez were grabbing a drink, I think. <laughs> hey, George Santos may be here next Congress. You don't know. So <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I, yeah, I, I digress. Mean, no, no, no. You're exactly right, though. I mean, it's uh he's still around and still voting and and quite frankly is a fairly integral part of the uh the governing majority in the Republican Party right now. So um, you know, the bottom line here is that McCarthy decided this wasn't going to get any better. And so I think with Boehner and 13, as we talked about before. Uh, he thought he had to let off some steam, and that's why we had a 17-day shutdown. I think myself included, and I expressed this on the podcast previously, that you know I really thought there was probably going to be a shutdown. I, I did. I do think I said in the last podcast that uh, one of our fans reached out and, and made note that I did say that the moderates were getting a little bit more uh, energized uh, in their uh, in their desire to potentially uh, uh, end this thing early. But McCarthy finally decided, look, there's nothing I can do here. We have a caucus of six to eight uh, Freedom Caucus members that, that have sort of broken off and they're going to vote against every single CR I put on the floor. And then on Thursday, he decided to prove that case. So he's on Thursday, they put up the most conservative CR that they had in their pocket. So it had all of the border security provisions. It had no Ukraine money. It cut all non-defense discretionary spending uh, by 8.1% over fiscal year 23. So we're talking about a multiple hundred billion dollar cut over the length of the CR. And um, and he put it on the floor and 21 Republicans, all pretty much all Freedom Caucus members, voted against it. And he said, well, if you're going to vote against the most conservative product, that gives you literally everything you have asked for, then I am not going to let this go into a shutdown. And so that's what he did. He he sneak attacked on on Saturday. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a good sneak attack. It almost failed because it was so sneaky. The Democrats almost decided to hold up the entire process. And uh, when they were getting almost everything they wanted, the bill did not the CR does not include Ukraine funding, but there is a separate track of funding for that. Um, but the Democrats almost held it up, suspecting that they were the ones getting getting uh, trapped in this uh, in this effort. And they weren't. Uh, and you had Jeffries and uh, Clark and and everybody walking down the House steps talking about how they the Republicans capitulated. Well, McCarthy decided he wasn't going to put up with the 21 uh, Freedom Caucus members anymore. And you might as well do it before the shutdown instead of doing it two weeks into yeah. it. Everybody, well, Rodney, you said that the Demo, uh, McCarthy put the Democrats on defense, but what, I mean, he needed the Democrats. Isn't it that he put the Freedom Caucus on defense? With uh, the Freedom Caucus is never going to feel 
like they're on defense. They will, there are certain, now, now keep in mind, the Freedom Caucus is split on this issue and split on the McCarthy issue. It, it's not unanimous. Matt Gates does not lead the Freedom Caucus. Matt Gates leads a group of a, a, a few individuals. But in the end, the Freedom Caucus wasn't who McCarthy surprised. It was the Democrats. And Jamal Bowman wouldn't have pulled the fire alarm if Democrats <laughs> thought that that McCarthy capitulated to them. Uh, he surprised them. He put mm-hmm. them on notice that if they decided not to play ball, because they really wanted the Republicans to cause the shutdown. And, and I really thought that that's what, exactly what would happen. So you and don't the, think that you don't think that McCarthy and Jeffries had a had a have a deal, had a deal, have a deal? No. I mean, no, I think it was a surprise to them yeah. because um, I don't think you can feign uh, the anger that many of the Dems uh, were righteously expressing when that that so that 45 day CR came to the floor. It surprised them. It went up for a quick vote and you saw what they did. They tried to stall things. And if they would have voted, no, if they would have played politics like many members would have wanted to do then the shutdown could have been on that. It was a genius move. So there was a lot of reporting yesterday on Sunday from behind the scenes that McCarthy had back-channeled a lot of things with Jeffries, uh, with, you know, he was talking to Thune for the most part, not as much McConnell, uh, which is interesting side dynamic that we should probably talk about at some point, maybe not on this podcast, but it may be a future one. Um why why McCarthy was uh, sidebarring with Thune and not McConnell. But um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the Democrats, I think, were aware from McCarthy that he wanted to try to find a way to end the shutdown. But they were surprised by the maneuver that he made. So they were in the loop a little bit. And McCarthy was talking to them a little bit that he was going to continue to try up until uh, the close of business on midnight on Saturday to to end the shutdown. But I don't think they were aware that Republicans were willing to go uh, and specifically McCarthy was willing to go in the moderate direction as opposed to the conservative direction. So great. But but now we move to a situation where a single member can put forward a motion to vacate the speakership. And. McCarthy needs, uh, in, in all likelihood, the Democrats in order to remain Speaker, Rodney. He, he does, but that motion to vacate was not just uh, connected to a possible shutdown. It could happen any day of McCarthy's speakership. I mean, Matt Gates or anyone else can walk in and offer a motion to vacate. This motion to vacate, Gates will say, was caused by this deal. But in the end, it was going to happen sooner rather than later. And now McCarthy and his team at a time where the majority of his conference, of the Republican conference, is overwhelmingly supportive of Kevin. And the Democrats really got what they said they wanted, which was a clean short-term CR. Uh, How much better of a position can you put yourself in? And and I would like to talk, uh, you know, maybe in a later podcast or even later on in this one, about the dynamics between Senator Thune and also Kevin McCarthy. I think that was something uh, that needs some more digging into, a lot more reporting, because I, I think it truly shows that the House and the Senate were, uh, the House and Senate Republicans were on the same page to actually avoid the shutdown 
and move the ball forward. And I think it will pay dividends as we move forward post 45 days. Yeah, I have to agree with that and, and just step back for a second and say the the government worked. We're we're talking a lot of drama and a lot of detail. And I look forward to hearing what professors Davis and French, although Rodney, I guess, is a student, Professor French and his his pet student Rodney Davis thought of it. But when you just step back half a foot from the mess, it 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 worked. It worked. The speaker came up with something that could work. The Democrats, yes, were surprised. They weren't surprised. They were on the defensive. They weren't on the defensive for two hours. <laughs> and and I actually do believe that one or two, maybe only two of them wanted to read it before they voted for it. So I, I think it, it was an example of the government actually working. And I think that's the takeaway for, for people who were paying any attention, most of whom weren't. I, in some ways, the headline from this is that Everybody knew eventually they would keep the government open, maybe not on Saturday, maybe 17 days later. But but we're now in a context, Howard, where where there's a chance that this Congress can can do some things because of some of these dynamics. You have the speaker standing up to the six or eight lunatics who voted against everything they wanted. And you've got the Senate uh, getting along with the House, uh, as Rodney was just saying, on the Republican side and and on the Democratic side. I much ado about nothing, and a good result is is my takeaway. Counter, I think he's right. I mean, I to a certain Boy, you degree, so reluctant to say that. <laughs> I mean, you know, one could make the world just shifted on its axis. I'm going, I'm going back and forth a little bit because, a, do we need, do we, does Congress always need to take it up to the government funding deadline for all this drama? I mean, yes, Congress has has come to the clear decision over the course of the last 15 years that we always need a cliff to act. Period. Like, there's nothing that's going to happen proactively, generally speaking, unless we're talking about protectionism. Like think of the Chips Act or something along those lines, where we're we're happy to to get out in front of trying to you know to to you know counter uh, Russia or counter China for the most part. But like other than that, we're going to try to act you know whenever there's a cliff when it's something from a domestic politics or funding standpoint. So so yeah, I mean government did function again in this particular regard, but also even if there was a shutdown. It's still government functioning, in my opinion, because I shutdowns are virtually meaningless. I mean, I have one client who's the national parks uh, folks, and they have a they have a real beef with that, with government shutdowns for sure, because that shuts down all the parks, and there's real consequences to that. Other than that, symbolic. It's symbolic. It, yeah. it looks, and I mean, I, I'm just not sure. Look, I guess net net, this is the process <laughs> working. Okay, so they kicked it down the road 45 days. Congratulations. Like, yeah, I mean, is it actually government working? I, I guess so. Well, well, 
it, it's but, government working in a world where the bar, Howard, is is pretty low. It's practically sitting on the ground. <laughs> is it government working in some philosophical or even political science sense? Uh, I, I leave that to uh, Rodney's colleagues up there in Cambridge. But but in a world where the bar is so low, yeah, this is what government, this is what sausage making looks like. Well, yeah, and that's that's fine. Like in a, no one's going to remember this in a, the point. You know, five years. Like, okay, they kicked it down the road 45 days and then other stuff happened and they got a deal. <laughs> like, I mean, even if there was any- a shutdown, nobody was going to remember it on election day. <laughs> right. In all likelihood, I, I would um, argue. I would argue the shutdown helps more governing Republicans actually um, use it in a in, in a a way that it's a positive, a net positive for the upcoming campaign. I know I did after 2013. How, how so? Well, how did, what 20, did you do? So I, I won the closest GOP victory in the nation in 12 by 1,002 votes. The Democrats recruited my my opponent, who was a very well liked uh, judge who was 49 and decided to retire after 20 years on the bench after being recruited during President Obama's inauguration in January of 2012 or 2013 to run against me. So she ends up resigning her judgeship, announces she's running against me the summer of of 2013. We go into the shutdown and immediately Democrats and Democrat organizations and outside groups took the most targeted Republicans and began running TV ads, radio ads, digital ads, during the 17-day shutdown, where we were trying to be the voice of reason to govern. They were trying to take every letter that I would have signed as a freshman and use that to say, I wanted a government shutdown. Well, when I voted to end the shutdown, then I was on offense. I was able to be the person who governed. And I took that over the next year and a few months and turned my 1,002 vote victory in 2012 into an 18-point victory in 2014. So. Shutdowns are not bad for those who can show that they're trying to work to get out of them. Mm. That's interesting because I, I guess I was assuming that uh, this was good for those moderate New York Republicans, Towner, that you mentioned earlier, who um, really are the ones that those victories are what ended up cementing the majority in the House, which is. I think it is. is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, if, yeah, I, I mean, I thought I think it's good for them, but Rodney, you're saying maybe a shutdown would have been. No, I, I think they, I think they got the same result either way. They're able to say that I stopped it because I governed. Yeah. Or they're able to say, like in my case, you know, we weren't able to stop it. Um, you know, there are a lot of lot of my colleagues that stood there and thought President Obama was really going to capitulate on on his signature piece of legislation, his health care package, and we missed a total window to destroy the rollout of Obamacare, which was a disaster because we were a disaster. Yeah. But was was any of this for Kevin McCarthy motivated by helping those those moderate R's that cemented the majority or? Always. Yeah. I mean, Tucker's right that these guys, you know, were in a position to, to leverage their governing potential and their governing uh, messaging. Uh, but in the end, uh, in the end, I don't know how much of an influence having the New York Republicans, who I think are very, very effective members. 
I don't know how much of that played into that he had leverage then to put that 45 day up. But in the end, um, they're going to be able to use the same messaging I do. They're going to say they stopped the shift. So can I ask guys, what happens with this motion to vacate? Does it actually happen? Does it actually get to the floor for a vote? And when it does, I know this is a compound question, so you may want to take notes, Rodney, on it. And when it gets to the floor for a vote, the Democrats don't want to know who the next guy is. <laughs> Connor and I have been arguing about this since the 15 votes to make McCarthy yeah. speaker in the first place. Yeah. yeah. I say the D's. McCarthy's going to be speaker in 45 days when we do this again. It, Connor, you know the process better than I do. Well, yeah, I mean, if I had a well, first of all, process wise, somebody stands up, moves to vacate the chair. That vote can be postponed for up to forty eight hours, uh, and the so the chair being the speakership, the chair being the speakership, uh, that vote can be postponed for forty eight hours. So they will schedule a time sometime in the next forty eight hours after thereafter to do that. So I fully expect probably this evening that uh, on Monday night that Matt Gates will stand up and and move to vacate the chair. And so we'll have a vote either Tuesday or Wednesday uh, on that, or we could have a vote right away. You can, you can just go right to it if you'd like to. Um, the, the way out of this that I think is probably going to happen is I think you're going to have somewhere probably around eight to 10 Republican defections would be my guess. We know of six off the bat. Um, but I think eight to 10, I don't think you're going to have the majority of the Freedom Caucus actually vote against McCarthy would be my guess. Um, and then it's just a matter of lowering the the threshold for winning. And so you don't need all the Democrats to vote for McCarthy. You just need some Democrats to take a walk or you need them to vote present. And I think most of them will choose not to vote present. I think you'll just see some some undervoting on the Democratic side that will that will ultimately result in in a uh, in a victory for McCarthy because they, he, they vote in favor of him and then he's actually weakened because then they can say the Democrats you know kept right. him in power so so you just you would prefer they just take a walk and then the Democrats who who are willing to to go along with it don't want to vote present because then to their constituents they look like they didn't do anything so you're saying. They are going to show up and vote in McCarthy's favor, or they're not going to show up at all. I think the vast majority of Democrats will actually vote against McCarthy. They will vote to vacate the chair because they would prefer to see a Democrat in the chair, which is not going to happen. And um, or they want Republican Party to be in full and complete chaos, which is which is also a preferable yeah. goal for them. So but I do think there is going to be a, a number of Democrats who decide they're just not going to show up this week uh, or show up for that particular vote, thus lower, lowering the the threshold needed to uh, to secure uh, to push back. Because the vote is actually going to be on tabling the motion to vacate the chair. It's not going to be on vacating the chair. So immediately uh, McCarthy's folks will rise and request that to, that that motion be tabled. And then the vote will be on whether to table it or not. So it won't be actually on underlying whether to kick McCarthy out. And I know I know you'll be surprised, uh, but if you're God. watching C-SPAN <laughs> during this, this motion to table. You may see some members on the House floor. And then you may see the roll call that they may not have voted. 
So yes. it's not necessarily an attendance issue. Uh, yeah. But but here's the thing. The longer this drags out, the more concessions Democrat members are going to ask Leader Jeffries to try and force out of Kevin. So I think the faster, the better for McCarthy. Otherwise, it, it becomes more of a, a, a more of a political play and more pressure is on Hakeem and the Democrats to get more, to leverage more, yeah. uh, which is, you know, what the, the the Gates Republicans say they want, but then never come to a conclusion of actually wanting something. Well, and the clear leverage right now is in Catherine Clark, who's who is in leadership for the Democrats. Um, you know, she she was blatant about it. What are we getting for it? If we keep them in the chair, what are we getting for it? And what they're going to get for it this time around is Ukraine funding, quite frankly. I was just going to ask. Right. Right. Isn't that the, the chip? No uh, fun with chips Act intended. Right. That's exactly what they're going to get for it. It's yeah, just, they'll get, they'll get, there's going to be a briefing just got announced. McCarthy wants a full house briefing on Ukraine. Um, Towner's right. That's one. I think I think you need to look at some minor rule changes too that might be included. I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> one. I think if you're the casual observer and all this, you're the average American. I don't think I think you care very very little to not at all. Um, I think it looks like the inmates are running the asylum, which on some level I guess they they are. But I think it's also like warped when we're in a world where the thing that Democrats are getting for supporting a Republican is war funding. Like, what? <laughs> what's going on? I mean, I understand Biden's president. I understand it's his Ukraine is a priority for him. We we are the National Defense Party. Come on. Oh God! It, the world has turned here, but what is also perverse, of course, is that what there was a vote on Ukraine funding last week, and found 187 Republicans, some enormous majority. Of- no, 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 not even remotely near that. Some it was 311 in favor, so it was like 110, 115, or something. Yes, plenty to pass it though. Plenty. It didn't sneak by. It didn't squeak by. Right. Right. I think, you know, look, the the Republican Party in the House, the Republicans in the House, I should say, are fairly divided on this question. So I think there's I think there's really 30 to 40 Republicans in the House who are upset about Ukraine funding and mostly because of they agree with Donald Trump or they're non-interventionalists. We we have a we have just a amazing rise in the non-interventionist wing of the Republican Party right now. And so there's like about 40 Republicans in the House who are completely anti-Ukraine funding. Then you got about 60 Republicans who are like, I just don't want this to be an issue in my primary, quite frankly. And uh, and so, you know, that's sort of where we sit in the Senate. Rand Paul is anti-Ukraine funding, period, the end, end of story. Very few other Republican senators are actually anti. Most are pro, uh, but there's a few there who would definitely vote against Ukraine funding because they also don't want it to be an issue in their primaries. Guys, I don't know. It's head spinning. I mean, and, and look, like, it's no different than any... 
organization in the sense that like every organization has its dysfunction and its dynamics and it's yeah and and any kind of organization has its procedures and its way of kind of maneuvering through the procedures it just i don't know, I, it's all a bad it's all a bad look it's, it's not it's, as it's bad terrible. of a look as shutting the government down no it's it a bad it's a bad look, but I, I Howard, you love my reports from the heartland. I know you right. Did. I was going to go to the man of the people earlier, but I held it. But since people. you put it forward, Mark, let's I, go I, to the I, man of the people. So I I spent um, a day and uh, a night in the heartland, Rodney, in Indianapolis this week, and I talked with a lot of guys. Some are. Probably, frankly, more D in my crowd, which is a minority in that state, as you know. But they they were, too, a man and a woman. They were unanimous and just not caring. They care about one thing, and this is the perversity of it. They care about the top of the ticket. All anybody wanted to talk about was Trump and Biden. And they didn't want to talk about that either because everybody found it too depressing. So I think the sausage making is just not captivating the heartland. And and no one's going to remember any of this because the top of the ticket is just a total eclipse of the sun this time around. See, I don't think it's a bad look at all. I, I, I think it's democracy. And I think that's important. And I think people... Even as much as I believe that we should be funding Ukraine's effort against Russia, I also think we should have debates about it. And I think people are allowed to have other opinions about it. And we didn't have debates and opinions about most of the funding for Iraq and Afghanistan, by right. the way. You know, we kept the AUMF, uh, the authorization for use of military force in place uh, post 9-11 so that we can do military actions wherever we want, whenever we want to, without any sort of governance by the American people whatsoever. And, you know, I I just sort of think this isn't a bad look. I think this is actually democracy. And I think there is an inherent desire for some folks in this country, including sometimes myself, to think, hey, maybe we should keep all this money in the United States of America and everybody else can go to, you know, wherever else. And, I am appalled by the fact that the Democrats are the uh, party of national security right now. I That is not my personal belief. But at the same point in time, I don't know. I mean, I still think we have sort of a realignment of parties, but I don't think it's bad that we vote on this kind of thing. Okay, I agree well, with you, Towner. Well, let's guys, let's leave it there for this week. Let's leave it on the note of optimism from from Towner French. Uh, well said, Towner. Uh, I, didn't, guys, I didn't necessarily think that was optimistic, but for Towner, it's a pretty low bar. It's optimistic <laughs> in the sense that right. uh, we're talking right. about func- you know, functioning democracy. Yeah, it's not a bad. It's, a, it's an A minus. That was an A minus paper in the Duke Political Science Department. Time. <laughs> I just I didn't get many of those at all. Yeah, no, they were giving far lower question. than that. <laughs> Did you just wipe a tear from your eye, Towner? I mean, I seriously said after you gave that impassioned speech, like you're a, a wannabe anti-globalist. I think I saw you rub your eye, I, like you teared up, man. I think Rodney was taking notes because he's going to go say. To everybody right. <laughs> on the Harvard campus today that, yeah. you know, his party saving democracy. Yeah. 
You don't, well, I say that every day. And then they still <laughs> look at me like I'm a circus animal. <laughs> We've been so, here before. We're back to FDR and Lindbergh. That's sort of how I see it. Yeah, you go. Yeah. I mean, that's it's dang close. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, spirited as always. Uh, Rodney, wake up. And uh, we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.